0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. I wanted to let you know that this episode sounds a little bit strange. We had some audio issues with respect to our actual mics that we usually take audio from in the studio, and therefore, the only audio available to us for this episode was the audio from the camera-mounted microphone. So you'll probably notice that the audio quality is quite a bit worse than the usual episode, Uh, The content is quite wonderful, so I would still encourage you to listen. Jen has some really amazing topics that we explored together, and it was one of our favorite episodes to record, and we'll be having her again on the show, hopefully soon. Um, But I just figured that you should know up front that the audio quality in this episode is definitely not what it usually is. Uh, It's back to normal in the following episodes. And we are doing everything that we can to have multiple levels of redundancy so that this never happens again. That being said, thanks again for being with us. Really appreciate your listening and enjoy the episode.
1: One of the things I read today is that um, video gamers are going to be more well-paid on average around the globe than professional athletes.
2: Yeah, I've seen, I've seen, I've heard such things. Right,
1: heard such things, right? But if you look at the data, and I mean, even a few years ago, stadiums were selling out to watch top gamers in Asia play one another. On, like, stadium screens. So imagine, like, everyone is immersed in two people playing a video game. Yeah. And, and like, that blows my mind as someone who, despite being so futuristic, I really love the now. I yes. really I really love, you know, a sunny day in San
3: Francisco
1: <laughs> when you're walking to meet your friend in time for your podcast, <laughs> drinking an ice cold lemonade, mm. um, and just enjoying like the fact that totally. like, summer.
4: We're yeah. still in this like strange liminal space in a way, right? Like I think I think e gaming really brings that out because yeah. you have this hyper technological spectacle in which everybody is either participating or watching and yet we're still congregated in physical space to yeah. watch it. We're not quite at that place where it's it's all happening in a virtual realm. Right. Or even just in our minds, with some sort of technology that would allow us to, um, you know, enter our own like virtual space where we can like observe or participate in games without like what we call technology, these external devices. Right. So we're, we're at this like point where there's still kind of like a rubbing between the future and the and the past.
1: I I want to go back to liminal. I think it's yes. one of the most important concepts we have in mm-hmm. the age, and I wish. Um, so. Oh God! Okay, let's just like dive into liminal. We can spend like a while. This
2: is a liminal space
1: inherently. Yep. Ooh yes. Um, so liminality. Um, the first time I heard liminality was the concept of people who were brought up in one culture and one language and then moved to another. So I've been really lucky, um, even before I had this global role, um, to live and work around the world, to live and work with cultures that were not my own, languages, not my own, and to constantly be in that liminal experience. And I think that early on my love of reading had already brought me into that space. Mm-hmm. Like before we had screens, before totally. we had you know, all, all the yeah. immersive technology we do now, we had books, and and I love fiction because fiction always brought you to like worlds that you mm-hmm. didn't see and you didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So I was always engaged in that half in, half out liminal yeah. like, yeah. of
4: this world. I'm not of this world. Yeah. Fiction is also very much like that because part of it's what's being brought to you in the words, and part of it's what you're bringing to the text with your own imagination and experience. Yeah, yeah. As well, so you create literally every person who reads a book creates their own liminal world. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Which is why everyone gets so irate when they <laughs> yeah, the That's
1: not, ever that's ever not what it's supposed <laughs> <laughs> How dare you even make the Character.
2: She's a redhead! <laughs> <laughs> always has been, always will be. Yeah. Exactly. Well this idea of games is interesting, um, that gaming seems to be on the rise. And you are a science fiction writer as well mm-hmm. as a global futurist. Yep. Um, the sci-futurist here, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, thank you. Um, Ian Banks is an interesting example of a science fiction writer who, in his version of the future, games are everything. And so he wrote this book called The Player of Games that has been a big influence on Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos have all come out saying, like, this was a really important sort of vision of the future that I see. And the whole premise is that there's an entire sort of technological civilization evolution of sorts, and that in this new world, you know, where they... have everyone's immortal and they've fixed everything and all games become the essential medium through which life evolves that everyone's competing in this sort of like a glass feed game a la Herman Hesse this like sort of macro game or the participants are the masters of this world that they've inhabited and so games are an interesting liminal space as well right where they catalyze this sense of competing interests or like opponents going against each other to essentially create a new synthesis of a dialectic of saying this this person or this thing, this idea, we want this. It's like a democratic emergence of quality, of what success means. What are your thoughts on the future of culture, right, with Knowing that gaming is becoming such an, a big thing, knowing that reality itself is becoming somewhat of, people say, a glitch in the matrix is how they're describing it. Yeah. What's going on in our culture right now that might lead us to thinking about games as a means of cooperation, perhaps? Because Matthew and I, we think a lot about the entire planet coming together and like realizing that we're all on this spaceship Earth together. And we can think about like the Olympics as, like these you know events where everyone comes. To, oh, we're just competing for fun. How do we like think about the future and the world coming alive through these liminal spaces of games, of story, art as well as like a huge aspect of how we can sort of impose meaning on an utterly chaotic world.
1: I well, mean, you just said that, right? We're looking to impose meaning on an utterly chaotic world, and ever you know, long ever since we have written philosophy. We've always questioned what reality is, whether it's shadows on the wall or like what morality is. And the way that we as humans create reality is through story and through play.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we engineer through millennium these narratives of what we believe are true
3: mm-hmm.
1: and we participate in games that we've designed that we've designed to prove a reality mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, yeah. Right? the stories are, the
4: stories are very much the um, you know the pre technological coherence mechanism. Yeah. humanity, right, it's Peter of all, well. the, of all the possible perspectives that we could have we could have taken, mm-hmm. you know, we decided that there was a particular perspective, and it was like a meta perspective, right, because this is the, the sum total of many different people's stories that aggregated into maybe a cultural story or a narrative in a particular culture, yeah. that was that kind of heartbeat of, of what reality is in that time and that place for those people. And that's one of the things we're trying to address with this Calasicum Coherence Project, which is feel to some extent like we've all plugged into one another as a global community, yet we haven't like a global story hasn't yet fallen out of yeah. that. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I think I think that that's actually a lot of the a lot of the anxiety we have, at least in Western society mm-hmm. these days, is mm-hmm. we've of lost the plot. <laughs> <laughs>
3: like, I totally. I
1: feel
4: totally like what, what is the plot I
1: anymore? Mean? <laughs> 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 know, like, well, we created um, so
4: many plots that we don't know. Yeah. Right, yeah. right.
1: And and tech is a profoundly unifying
3: force. Or mm-hmm. a
1: profoundly divisive force, but yeah. it's but it is it does break down borders in a way that we've never yeah. had, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have the proliferation of commerce that now spreads faster, and I think I would actually add on one more dimension to this, which is time. Mm-hmm. That tech radically changes our notion of time. Absolutely!
2: I, I say this to my, like, technology yes. fractures time, like, yeah. truly. It, it It is a force of nature mm. that space, like, think about time as space-time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What does technology do? It Literally, you're, like, sending your thoughts at the speed of, light. you're, you know, this is being listened to by people all around the world right now at the speed of You know, light going from a server to their ears, from the sound waves, from my voice to their ears. Yeah. That's technology.
1: And we've shifted it so they don't have to participate in real time. They They can have it at any point.
3: It's very relative. It's very relative.
1: But what we've done is in a moment. Mm -hmm. And now that moment lasts forever. I wrote an article in in a digital publication four years ago now, mm-hmm. and people still find it and reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't, like, in, they still find relevance in it. And again, yeah. that may have happened, but that ability to read the article, find me, reach out to me yeah. in, in the speed, like, yeah. we can't reach out to Socrates, I mean, we <laughs> yeah. intro, right, but I'm like, yo, Socrates, how <laughs> is your work? it's really good, <laughs> let's talk about some, like, stuff. Yeah. Teach me how to, like, gargle with pebbles in my mouth
4: <laughs> to, like, yell at people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a friend of mine yeah. uh, calls this generative bat signaling, where it's like mm-hmm. you can basically send out these signals into this ether of the internet, right?
3: Yeah.
4: Um, literally through the ethernet, of <laughs> course. <laughs> through the
3: ethernet? <laughs> um,
4: and, and actually, like, it has a, a semi-permanence, but it also, it, you know, it, out, it outlives that moment, or it takes that moment, and it, it seeds it throughout the world. And then someone else can resonate with it asynchronously, as you point yeah. out. Yeah. And then come and find you because the breadcrumbs are all there, right. right? Which is really crazy, and that's a really positive element of this. Potentially, I guess it could also be negative because right. people can use that for, for ill as well as good. Um, but back to the temporal distortion thing, that's also really interesting. Um, even if we just kind of try to take it to a very simple metaphor of um, like a flow system, like mm-hmm. like. Liquid flowing through, like the, the liquid of consciousness, like flowing through, like a, like pipes, right? And we have um, a fixed bandwidth as mm-hmm. an evolved human brain, yeah. And now we've never plugged more information flow into that, and so it's like every single interaction we have is a lot less. It's like it's like a fracturing of like a million little flows as opposed to more coherent. Um, I don't know. This is getting very abstract, but it's like. Feels like that fragmentation. Like when I'm scrolling through Twitter, yeah. when I'm on right. Facebook, I've seen a million different things, and I don't know exactly what the meaning of any of them is. They don't have a story. Yeah, it's just an assault of like a fragmented landscape of
2: crazy narrative yeah. that I've never been able to have access to in human history. Right. right, and context is so critical to meaning making. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it's like when you're out of sync in time with other folks, like you're literally out of sync. You're not going to find cohesion. You're not going to find harmony, and. It, yeah. t- this is like something we need to actually think about in our designing of technology. TV is interesting for that reason as well. It like is TV used to have that cadence,
4: right? right. Like there'd be a weekly cadence that right. people would talk about it, and you'd literally be in a sync of yes. culture. Yeah. And now we have like asynchronous. I I, I can't I can't I maybe um, can't criticize it too much because I was part of it at Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> 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 created that fracture. And yeah, 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 like, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: So here, okay, I want to talk about a hack. So we've talked about this before, Brian, you and I. But um, I had a traumatic brain injury.
3: Oh really? So the way
1: I had to like think about my own cognition because my hardware was so broken, like AKA my brain. Yeah. Like I had to interact with the world and information in a new way because my brain would be overloaded by any information, like the sound of this fan.
3: Yeah.
1: And, and us talking together, it could only handle a little bit. Yeah. So I had to learn the cognitive cost of our modern life.
4: Yeah. Um, Exceptionally high, I would <laughs> assume
1: exceptionally high yeah. like, even now I have like sometimes monastic information qualities like I just yeah. came back from a trip to the Outer Hebrides where there is no Wi-Fi. Mm. it's like 2 MPS <laughs> at
3: most
2: <laughs>
1: so I was like me and the sheep are going to chill
3: Yeah. so this is really
2: funny yeah. so we were I have done some work as a futurist as well you yeah. are a one of my favorite futurists in terms Aww. of the way you approach your work Yeah. I find myself feeling more of an appreciation for nature than most people than more, like, I, I'm typically on airplane mode. I'm, I'm very, send, like, tech, being a futurist doesn't mean you're, like, yes to every technological innovation. It means that we're actively thinking about what the future is and what world we want to see and live in and experience. And that's often not the world we're living in today.
1: So I would actually go back. Um, I'll say this, but a futurist responsibility is to pull, is to, make smoke concrete
3: mm-hmm.
1: right you're pulling at lists of what's coming in of what you're seeing and trying to deliver it in a concrete fashion to whoever your client is mm-hmm. or to whoever your constituents are right and you have to make it real enough so they can see the smoke the way that you do
3: mm-hmm.
1: and again our brains are old hardware And yes, we have a million different tools. Like I can get news feeds, I can get digital subscriptions, I can translate foreign things, I can talk to people all over the world to get information. But ultimately, it's my brain and my cognitive ability that has to pull the insights and shape that way in a way that's understandable by everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a very hard discipline that you have to... Do work in silence, in quiet, yes. like because you have to pull out something that isn't neatly there. Mm-hmm.
3: You mm-hmm. know,
1: if you really are a futurist, you're you're you have to be at the bleeding edge mm-hmm. of where things are, mm-hmm. which means unusual information, not concrete, yeah. pulling across insights from yeah. unrelated things, but packaging it in a way that people can see and understand. A lot of
4: synthesis and pattern matching, but because there are no pre-existing Oh, I guess maybe it's finding the right pre existing metaphors yeah. onto which those new patterns might map so that people could resonate with something that they don't yet know.
1: Right. And because of that it's deeply creative work and creativity from every study we've ever done takes quiet,
2: takes mm-hmm. turning off
1: distraction, mm-hmm. takes like the deep hard work yes. of like sitting and working at something for hours. Mm-hmm. Which, which our
2: which play. our modern world like is inherently built to to disrupt. Right. Yeah. The attention economy is a way to capture people's attention right now. It definitely is. It definitely is, and it's,
4: and it's like, it's, yeah, it's the primary, the primary economic engine. Is is something that is competing for more and more of everyone's attention mm-hmm. at every single moment. I've tried to express this idea a few times before. I'll try again, and it usually doesn't come out that well, but maybe, hopefully this time it will, but like... Many times, I'll crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and will be Yeah, you the quiet work, right, you go to the deep, <laughs> right. it's still too wispy right. and smoky. Okay. But like, <laughs> this idea of, you always get this idea of um, kind of like a, a sphere, where it's almost like a, like a liquid sphere, and we're all bobbing on the top of it normally, right, so there's, like a, there's a surface tension, and there's kind of like a buoyancy thing, where it's like you'd bob up if you didn't do anything. but that deep work is like kind of like being like a submarine. Like you have to like go down into the depths and like stay in that higher viscosity space. It takes energy to be there. It takes work to stay there. So like getting a PhD is like really building a submarine like living down there for a while. Mm-hmm. But like what we're doing with all of our technology is creating like, or increasing the surface tension perhaps, yeah. right? Like making everything hyper-connected at the surface of this. And so it's, it's hard to break away and like, that summary and dig into that deeper content. Spend time with a book or just spend time with yourself or, or meditating. Mm-hmm.
1: I find that my ability to be a good reader is increasingly difficult.
4: Yeah, yeah you look at a page that's not digital and it, it's harder and harder and harder to, to feel like with it or bound to it or something.
1: Yeah, and it's harder for me to, to get into a book, whereas like before any book would do, right? Mm-hmm. You could give me a Trashing Romance and I'd be like, great! Page through it happily. Yeah. Now I need something like deep, powerful, meaningful, mm-hmm. and even then I find myself being like, mm, "This is that boring."
3: <laughs> even
1: though, like you know, reading and that attention, and I think that's why you see the growth of meditation, the growth of all these cognitive enhancers. I think that
3: mm-hmm.
1: we feel the effects. Right. It's like we we have to. Right. We're not wired. To be at the pace and, and assimilate these things, and one of the things I find really, um, really impactful, and I go back to is Kevin Kelly's "What Technology Wants." Me too, like, all the time. Right, and and I remember speaking to him about what a frog would be in the future, and it was like an organic, synthetic, technical thing, right? Mm-hmm. As much bits and bytes, and and things that. and interesting he, you
4: use frog, by the way. It's a archetypally liminal creature. Like As the boundary of liminality. land and water.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a good place to be. So yeah, <laughs> but um, the you know the undersea cable where we have um, our Ethernet cords, right? Yes. There's electric charge. The types of fauna and flora that are growing there, the undersea whatever plankton are pulling new categories. So mm. we know what they are in the next generation. Yeah. Or so, but we take. Eons to be gen- like generations. Yeah. It's not eons. They take 25 years on average, if not more. But like, when do we.
4: From the bacterial perspective, eons. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> From the I'm, bacterial I'm, perspective,
1: yeah. eons. Um, and that's something I think about too, in the perspective of time, right? Like, of course, we're all going to become cyborgs. We're going to have to. Like, where's my. Like, I don't have anything implanted yet, but I'm going to need to if our world continues at this place. Yeah. And I only hope that it's something as organic. Yeah, as, as nature, right? Right. Like We really, and I, and I think that's why that's a trying to continue to watch is that synthesis of biology and technology.
2: Same all the time. I mean, Kevin Kelly in What Technology Wants, he talks yeah. about technology is the seventh kingdom of life, mm. and we, you know, thinking about. Technology through the lens of biology is so essential because it's actually what it is. Like, everything, I mean, nature, it's why we love complexity science on the show because there's no distinction between physics and biology. There's there's a distinction, but physics thinking and biology thinking are paired together in this unified sense of what is nature. And we draw these arbitrary lines right now, like, oh, that's, that's not nature, that's technology. But, like, no, we need to think about technology through the lens of biology to better harmonize with it. Yeah.
4: We were, we were just at the Chris Thomas talk, um, at the, the Long Now Salt Talk series on Tuesday. You were there as Jim well. Jim was there as well, yeah. The, um, there was an interesting moment there, and speaking which speaks exactly to that, or a couple of moments, because he simultaneously in that talk said, uh, basically, nature doesn't make value judgments, and simultaneously that uh, we are nature, which mm-hmm. is kind of strange to me, because if we are nature we might be that part of nature that is making these value judgments and, like, creating technologies and figuring out what is the stewardship of those technologies.
1: Right. But I don't think we do. I think, mm. like, I think...
4: You don't think we do? No, all. I don't
1: think we make value judgments so much collectively. Like Interesting. If you look at that. it, right? Like, uh, each of us are We do it
4: individually, but that emerges into the collective yeah. direction.
1: right. And, and... Um, back to games, back to liminality, yeah. Yeah. right? Like, it's sort of we're all in some game that we're rarely making rules for, yeah. right? Yeah. Like,
3: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: like, let's take mass transportation. Mass transportation is an utter game, right? Like, you can participate in, in the city of San Francisco. You can take a muni, You can take a BART. Um, you can take a taxi service sometimes if you can find one. Um,
4: and so now we've got, like, 25% of the city covered.
1: Right. Example, <laughs> you can take a ferry to and from San Francisco, Yeah. yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, and. You know, th- those were all designed as a game. And then technology came in for ride-sharing, and it's like, we could do this better. There yeah, are, sure. you know, there's car-sharing, there is um, all of the ride-sharing apps right. that we the have. I'm curious
4: why you defined public transportation when you said they they were all defined as a game. Yeah. Can you maybe elaborate as, on, on that or unpack that idea a little I mean, bit? Do you
1: remember, the, okay, there was a game when you were a kid called Mother May I? I don't know if you guys ever played this. So you'd, like, set it up that, like, you have... The mother on one end and then you have all the players on the other yeah,
3: end yeah.
1: and the goal was to get to the mother's side right yeah. and so you and like you and it had to be increasingly crazy how you got to that mother may I take one step okay you <laughs> can take a step but as I got to the halfway point mother may I take three crab steps
4: to <laughs> you
3: yeah, you know like yeah. mother
1: may I twirl yeah, to you like increasingly interesting it's
4: like Zeno's paradox of like
3: performative <laughs> <relationship>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah exactly yeah
1: But in the sense that we decided it was important to get from here to there, right? We didn't have, like, and it's an evolution to say, like, where does work happen and where does commute happen? Why does commute happen? Like, we don't have an integrated system that you can, in the comfort of your home, go to the doctor, go to the government, go to all this other stuff before the advent of the internet. There's Mm -hmm. a lot you can do from your home. Mm -hmm. So transportation is really important. Transportation still is important because we, again, operate physical bodies and physical Spaces that we have to move from here to there for various reasons
3: mm-hmm.
1: so somebody came in and said like okay these routes can go here because of all of these pre-programmed rules, and yes. rules that are true right, right you know and that and that we have to populate it and there's these labor unions to like have the right people who drive it and building on the existing paradigm yeah um and but why
2: didn't somebody say, let's all ride horses to work? <laughs> you know?
4: What like, if we did? That sounds fun. I know. Can I <laughs> let's bring, bring back horses. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. be living in Fort Worth. I Where want they actually the do that.
1: <laughs> robo horse ride shit. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. And make sure that it levitates. And I want it to be peer-to-peer. Yeah, it by Western. Branded <laughs> okay, by Westworld. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I really yeah.
1: want to try a Westworld branded horse steak. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like baby
2: from HBO is out there watching. Mm-hmm. Get on that. Yeah. <laughs> All
1: right, but. So, but, uh, what we do with
2: the scooters now in San Francisco. It's like yeah. a new thing. That they yeah. Have these. Well, that was like it was
4: almost like a scooter infestation <laughs> for
2: a little while. <laughs> I I like we so had a of scooters. It. it was like a little yeah. virus for
1: a while. piles Piled everywhere. Yeah.
2: Seriously. Like oh,
1: this, this got yeah. Yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was crazy. And like they were like it went from
4: no, no. To like five different companies. on the sidewalk all the time with like five different companies. Within the course of a month. It was Nuts. That was a fun phase. I think the didn't the city government do something.
2: Yeah. Cross regulation. Yeah.
1: Um, no, not, did a ban or limit?
2: I, I, I think sure. they're still trying to figure out. Yeah, like, they're still
1: trying to figure it out. It's yeah. like a temporary ban. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <So>
2: they're like, <laughs> like what should we do stuff. about this? Yeah. There's going to be so many more things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That the government's like, wait,
4: wait, yeah. this is weird. This is new. What do we do? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is different. Look, our, the government mechanism is not so slow. It's not ready the the yeah. to. There's going to be some crazy stuff. Like, I've had some moments with the scooter people. Like, not like I'm not upset with them, but I'm like, I was in a car, I was, like, making a left turn, and they zoomed across, like, the sidewalk.
3: Right. And I'm, like, I'm like, people aren't
4: used to, again, like, this is the pace of change thing. It's, like, right. uh, if you're in a car, you're not so used the right to right. the idea of something moving on the sidewalk yeah. that yeah. fast yeah. out yeah. into the road.
1: Right. And, and again, what's the rule? Like, are they, like, a bicycle, so they should use the bike lane, right. and yeah. they, they should be stopped? Yeah. Yeah. Or are they, like, a yeah. pedestrian? Yeah. In which case... They yeah. should take off their scooter. And, and this becomes walk.
2: particularly interesting as, like, drones and self-driving cars yeah. become more of, like, a thing that we that are actually saturating our urban mm-hmm. lives. Like, how do we control this new madness that could potentially unfold? So we don't world. just
4: want prohibition, right? The government, if they can't manage
2: it, eventually they are just gonna be like, no, fuck it, no, yeah. more. Well, no, no more,
3: more. No more, no more innovation. Chris, this it.
2: is Chris Thomas. <laughs> can they really
1: stop it, right? Like, yeah, but they can't.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He says, Chris Thomas said at that talk on, you know, he's a... Ecologist more than anything, but one of his mantras was fight loss, not change. Yeah. Right? Which I thought was a pretty yeah. apt way to think about evolution itself. Mm-hmm. Like it's always changing, yeah. and we should think about you know fighting loss and, and controlling the negatives less than we should like. He was he was pointing out that conservation is the wrong approach. That to conserve is inherently anti-entropic or anti-evolutionary, and to have a more sense of the dynamic evolution of which we're a part of is to appreciate change and dance with it.
4: Yeah, create systems that can flow with it. Well, exactly. That,
2: that are not like we so
4: so It um, always comes um, back to flows. It, yeah, yeah. Well, because we, we're stuck with systems that evolved or adapted to an era that predated this exponential acceleration. Mm-hmm. They, you know, our government predates electricity, like, our form of government predates electricity, like, we should maybe meditate on that for mm-hmm. a second, and like, what are the implications of that? And, yeah. and although we find ourselves in this moment where incremental change is possible, and we kind of keep going back, you know, every four years we have these elections, we keep thinking, like, doing the same thing is it going to change things, right, uh, through this system that was developed before electricity. Which is why I don't know, like we we're losing hope in government, right? Because it's like there's but then
1: you can look at something like Estonia, right? So yeah. Estonia yeah. is a fairly new... Right. And, well they're a really new government. Right. Uh, in a, in a lot of respects. And because of that, and they are small countries. Yeah. Like, small country, small population. Yeah. Um, yeah. relatively homogenous so in inter- yeah. interests. In. But it's the only country you to get e citizenship on, right? Yeah. It's yeah. So huge yeah. for people. Yeah. And and all a lot of their government runs online mm-hmm. and has enabled like a global population, as well yeah. as a lot of breakthroughs in technology, and it continues to attract. I was just there for a conference, and I was blown away by the caliber of talent it continues to attract. Uh,
3: yeah, and,
1: and like I think that's another trend I want to bring up is how locality is competing for talent. So it's not uh, just yeah. like. You know, you're, you're actually seeing a war for talent globally.
4: Yeah, yeah, especially in like the blockchain world and all of that. Right. right. Like Silicon Valley is not the leader in the world.
1: Well, yeah. yeah, so blockchain, blockchain I find endlessly fascinating. Why don't you guys tell me about blockchain? Like, you know, like it's just um, looking at the area, it is radically decentralized, right? And and the hub appears to be Zug, Zug, Switzerland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, but people well, I mean, that's one of the, it's
4: like a legal hub, right? right it's like right. an incorporation um, and kind of like legal uh, test bed right. for a lot of the, the kind of like more, um, I guess, government the governance structures experimenting with novel or yeah, novel governance structures is, right. is possible there.
1: And the blockchain community is taking digital nomadship to like the next level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, that, that shows all along like a completely borderless society, mm-hmm. and that's an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy. Right now, between again, and that's a narrative too. Like, what country are you from? Yeah, yeah. You, What? How would you identify? Right, like, right, right. Et cetera, et cetera. So I think,
4: like, 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 Bitcoin is like a gravitational attractor from the future, from the what? like the transnational future, the supranational future. Right. Uh, which, which, like, literally is the first, like, it, it's the nervous system from the future that doesn't care about borders and states can't really impose much. On, well, they can try to impose regulations, but they can't fundamentally kill it.
1: Right. But what do you think about the flood of people from traditional finance right now merging into crypto? Right? Because mm-hmm. that would like arguably that was like the, the foundational underpinnings of that economy. And like you look at it as a lot of that. But like what about now as like it's evolving becoming more prominent? Yeah. And the yeah. types of talent and people it's attracting. We run the
4: risk that? of just like transplanting bad organs into the new body. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because you know, to like uh, not to be overly uh, I'm not gonna be like judgmental, but in terms of just who would be most attracted to working in the traditional finance world? Well, people who are most attracted to like where the money's flowing. right? Mm-hmm. And so if those people are, you know, now they see the money's flowing in this decentralized world, they want to go to that location because right. that's the same part of them that drove them to Wall Street in the right. first place. Yeah. Right. Um, that being said, that's going to bring with it inertia, which we might want to talk about as well because mm-hmm. there's this element of not only first-mover advantage, which we talk a lot about, but there's a first-mover disadvantage when it comes to like our government, like the US versus Estonia. Right. We carry all this inertia and baggage. Wall Street is carrying its baggage, um, systemically, culturally, um, but then people are going to jump ship and like, what are the implications of that kind of conceptual
2: migration or cultural migration? Yeah. Peer-to-peer structures, for me, these new decentralized ledger technologies and the dApps and all these things, For me, it's like a new canvas on which we can try to paint the infrastructure of our world. And coming back to flows, when we think of systems, we think of systems that are processing information. Systems are are these collective intelligence of sorts that processes information for input and output to flow in some productive capacity. And right now, our systems are blocked. They're bloated. They're not working. And these peer-to-peer structures are a way to enable greater flows across the entire planet. Another thing Kevin Kelly talks about a lot is, like, post-nationalism.
3: Mm.
2: I'm, like, a fierce post-nationalist. Like, my family, my culture, my home is this planet.
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: I see Chinese people and African people and South American people. Any, everyone all around the world is, like, my brothers and sisters. And try to, like, live that. And it's beautiful to come into cities in these melting pots where, where that does happen. But... Our our systems have not yet updated themselves to be like oh no we are living in a global world now we're all together like harvesting things and then sharing them which is like what is the the the, the primary reason we have economic systems it's to enable flowing trade mm-hmm. say oh here I've done I've made these boots would you like them maybe like you know or I've made um I've, I've grown these. This, this food or whatever it might be, whatever you're giving to the economy, whatever you're called to do, you're doing that and you're finding people to interact with and exchange this value. And that's a flow that currency enables. And right now, currency and all these other structures that support these mm-hmm. systems are bloated and blocked. So for me, I think about, like, we could do so much better. And now we have, now we have the technology to do it. Now we have a new infrastructure that could really be the foundation for a new world. It's exciting. I mean, yeah, it's very exciting times. It's very, I mean, there's so much potential. Um, and it's go not to interrupt you, but it's like you know, we need to get it right. Well, yeah, like that, the that, same, yeah. the system could still creep into this one and, and, and be like a cancer in this system in the way it's been like in other systems. I mean, there's going to be
4: like just like it's kind of like a river delta, right? There's no there's no single line between past and future, between previous systems and and future potential economic systems. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, there's already a mass mm-hmm. kind of like transition where people are beginning to see this new world and move from the previous world into the future world. And like you're going to have bankers sitting next to coders from San Francisco and there's going to be cultural friction there. Um, But it's so, I think as you point out, if we amplify the flows, we need to get that structure right because if all we do is amplify the same type of linear processes that don't care about where the inputs are coming from and don't necessarily care where the outputs are going. Don't map the externalities, mm-hmm. then all we're going to do is accelerate the same processes. Right. Right? We're going to use new technology to accelerate the same patterns. Right. And that could be, instead, kind of, instead of like you, like you mentioned at yeah. the beginning, instead of the exponential up, that's a way to get to the exponential down. Right. Yeah. Right?
1: So one of the books, like this all makes me think of a book oh, I read that I love. It's called The Canticle for Leibovitz.
4: The
3: Canticle for Leibovitz. Yeah,
1: and it was written by a Navy machine gunner who was ordered to destroy a 9th century monastery in World War II because of, you know, powers that be, mm. um, be on the opposing side, so access versus allies. Um, mm. And he had such contrition for, like, destroying this piece of history, right? This, this piece of, like, beautiful history, meaningful history, that he wrote a book that posited that World War II had ended in a new Storm
3: Hmm.
1: and that the people who kept um, the people who kept future were educated monks. They were basically learned people who were in bunkers and then emerged. They were the PhDs at the time and then emerged and then kept in religion their um, science and that they lost almost everything. They would just find bits and pieces of books here and there and like. Code, like textbooks, like so physics textbook. they would take and embellish, the thing that we do with religious texts today, and it was about human millennium over time, tells us of millennium over time, so they get, and ultimately, while he made the, you know, monastic culture and the good guys, ultimately they had to leave earth, because they still blew it up again.
4: Is mm. <laughs> that deep question is yeah. like, are, are we doomed to repeat the patterns? Right,
1: right, right. <laughs> but, I, but I found that really interesting, and then the last image of that whole book is a great white shark like you want to end with nature right and he ends with nature which is nuts.
4: Yeah, right yeah so, but a pretty vicious part of nature
1: right right a pretty vicious part
3: yeah.
4: of nature
1: um like it's
4: from our perspective like right the shark doesn't know it's vicious yeah,
1: the it's shark
3: is, human shark human. is, is to, sh- to
1: be naturally yeah. ambivalent yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <Sharks laughs> he doing
3: shark. his own thing
1: but but i do find it again it like the question of knowledge and history and yeah. war, like, yeah. like these are big, like these are big studies. Like these are big questions. That te- technology, technology isn't removed. It's not just a tool. Because what are tools by what which we hope to achieve our end goal, right? Like why we develop tools over time because it helps us feed our human organism. And and we've satisfied with technology in so many ways. Like how to do things. We produce more food than we've ever been. For, we're constantly having breakthroughs around how to produce food and like what type of food. Um, we have breakthroughs in medicine all the time. CRISPR is one of the most like foremost technical breakthroughs that we've had. Yeah, like yeah. We are altering all the yeah. time. Yeah. I think tech, like, like we're gene
4: drive. and all right. That, like, it's getting it's getting
1: crazy. I think the bigger questions right now is what's humanity? Yeah,
2: totally. And, and
1: I think that that's like the bigger narrative. We don't have an answer for. Mm-hmm. It, right? mm-hmm. And and. How can we when our experience is so immediate, so visceral, Mm -hmm. so much like I am so thirsty and need a glass of water (laughs) My 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 bunny is not my machine where I can just plug it into the wall and be like, Oh look it's fine.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it goes back to that that idea of you know, like you were talking about before Brian where there's this element of wanting to be part of this very large thing, which is the global collective. Yeah. The idea that we are in a very real way globally connected and globally unitary, unified yeah. as a collective intelligence. Yes. Yet we're still living out these very personal lives mm-hmm. in meat space. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Meat space. In, in our <laughs> actual, like, we have to like go around and bump into things and have like interactions with people. Hopefully, you know, more pleasurable than awkward. Yeah. Or, or but that's
1: whatever. that liminality. Yeah. Like, there's so much of my life that's happening on this devices and, like, my glowing technical rectangular yeah. screen and that connection between this little meat market up here. Yeah. But that this meat package still exists. Like still right. has me, Still, yeah. I like, have to honor it, right? Like We're living five, on two planes. Right, 5 a.m. phone calls with other parts of the world are still brutal, yeah. right? Like, like, yeah. like, like <laughs> it, 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 there's no way around it. Um, I'm not... And, and, and I'm not the type of human that can run on sleep, sleep right. you know, or, or no food. Um, so it's
3: like
2: we're at this point is like, do how, how do we fix the world? You know, it's like before we can fix the world, we must fix ourselves. So yeah. we recognize that we're constrained in these ways to try to meet the world where it is, which is accelerating, and it's exponential, and all these, you know, new technologies and innovations that are literally changing the landscape and the soil in which we're playing together. Do we change ourselves? or we change the world? Or it's probably a little bit of both, but some, there's, a, there's this mismatch. By changing ourselves, don't we change the world? We do indeed. And so maybe that is actually a good mantra for how, you know, if we, like, we talk about bottom-up emergence, that to change the world, we must change ourselves to begin with. And right now, technology is changing us rather than, I, I, I often say um, technology is using us rather than humans using it. It's like you it's like thinking about like the mitochondrion jumping into the prokaryotic cell and becoming the eukaryotic cell through which all of life as we know it has sort of evolved from. We I, I find right so I have that relationship that's how I view technology. Yeah. We we and we're trying to figure out the balance of like okay you're doing this aspect of like cell reproduction and respiration and energy production and all these different things. We're doing this, you know, like we we're, we're trying to figure out what that relationship looks like. We haven't yet solved that. But who's we?
1: Who's trying to figure that
2: out? Nature, yeah. Gaia, Mother, Mother Earth, and that's and and, and more specifically us too. Yeah. And us too. Yeah. And yeah. Us, yeah. Three. us being yeah. sort of like yeah. you know the, the fractal pockets of, of nature gardening itself. Yeah.
1: I, need to like, I like my brain keeps hold of the all these interesting
2: things. I want to be just a
4: little bit closer. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's
1: cool. Um, like okay, so.
4: Make it a little easier for you to just talk with us. I think this is.
1: We're almost done. Yeah, we're almost done. Okay. Um, So I always come back to the story of like, I read, you know, I read a wide variety of things all the time, and it was a story about fire ants in Texas.
3: Right? Yeah.
1: And about how prolific we're talking about nature, right? About how prolific they are. So yep. like even exterminations they come back.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the piece about the story that sticks in my mind is the exterminator himself, who was like the most well paid guy in town because he always has work. Used the money to stay in the town, but would just buy new big screen TVs. And the fire ants were so rampant that they kept eating the TV. just like eat the TV. You want to talk about it? Technology and nature, right? You
2: got a new TV, or do you fix your ant problem? No, he got a new TV.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's what
4: we're doing. Exactly. Like, let's fix the ant problem. Right. That reminds me of uh, another story from Africa. Actually, they have involving ants. Okay. Um, There are these apparently these immensely massive colonies of ants in Africa. and they migrate, they're migratory seasonally. What? Yeah, and so, like bird. and so the villages that are along the migratory path literally build themselves on, on sticks, on stilts, right? So that when the ants migrate, they migrate and flow like a river underneath the oh, buildings. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, the crazy part about this is yeah. that if, because ants communicate via chemical signaling, Mm -hmm. and they leave, and and that's how they communicate with each other. So when they're migrating, that's how they're figuring out their direction and where to follow. Now, if they turn past a certain angle accidentally, they can get stuck in this large ant spiral, and they won't break out of the ant spiral. And they'll spiral. In Kazakhstan? Well, yeah, like just a spiral. Like it grows and grows and grows. And there are these things that are like these massive spirals of fields that used to be grasses or whatnot that are just like, you know, they look like um, they look like uh, crop circles or something like that. Oh, wow! And like these billions and billions of ants will just spiral until they they all die, yeah. right? If they get caught in that in that dynamic, and so that's a metaphor that stuck with me for a very long period of time in terms of the types of patterns. Like, do we like if we are in that ant spiral, how would we realize it? How do we break out of it, right? Like, I think that's a lot of the questions about, like sustainability yeah. with. The type of stuff we're talking about now, how we recognize ourselves as like a collective that needs to.
1: But I even love that the the, the tribes there like honor that
2: that's part of it. Like yeah, They yeah,
1: they yeah. designed their yeah. life around. Yeah. Things like yeah, yeah. And it goes
2: back to your question, yeah. Yeah, like what is our relationship with technology? Yeah. To like what does it mean to be a human in the twenty first century? Mm-hmm. And we're coming up on our time here. I think I'd love to end if and I'll start, but we can go around and just like talk about maybe what our a vision for the future or some of our hopes, right? Like Jen also writes science fiction.
3: Yeah.
2: And and we're you know we're talking about creating new stories, new narratives for the world. Um, some things that like come to mind when I'm thinking about the future, things that I hope for. Um, so yes, we talked about decentralization and figuring out what that next order looks like. I'm I'm very much a proponent of migrating towards a new alternative to the existing systems. Um, I. I had a very profound I've had very profound moments at festivals. I love festivals because I love seeing humans out and about as their true expression of their greatest self, having a good time with each other, dancing, the just the whole spirit at festivals to me shows humanity in such a beautiful light. And I wish the world were more like festivals. And I know people might say in their minds, Oh, well, you can live, you know, all year round at a festival. Of course not. But you could figure out a better balance with what, you know, that, that flow that happens in festivals, that joy that saturates our world at festivals, what that looks like. And for me, one of the key leverage points for doing this is to start to understand this entire planet as one large global village, as McLuhan talked about, or spaceship Earth, as Bucky Fuller would talk about. Seeing our relationship with ourselves, with each other, with this planet, in a more cohesive whole that appreciates... The diversity in the world and all sentient beings and all this life-giving forces that have sprouted through Mother Earth, Gaia, coming to terms with that in a way that we haven't before so that we can update Dunbar's law of 150 people. And sure, we have our communities, but there's a loneliness epidemic right now. There's a, there's literally a minister of loneliness for the UK. And how do we solve this? We need connection with something bigger than ourselves. And people are, stu- they're, they're not interested in God. They're not interested in... You know, the, the, whatever, the simulation of God that you're sort of praying to today, they're not, people aren't interested in that. People are interested in something that, it's a, I don't know what people are interested in, you know, but for me, what feels really good is when I feel connected to something greater than myself, something cosmic, something transcendent, while at the same time it's like heaven, but then still being grounded in earth, in our local worlds. And finding that next Hybrid state of of for life to evolve. It is a hybrid state. It is inherently there's going to be technology, but to steward our technology, to steward our experience of life on this planet in a way that's more congruent with joy and love and peace. Matthew, and then maybe we go to Jen, and we'll call that's it. That's all there. you want. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs>
3: that's it. Nice, yeah. yeah I'll just do this
2: again. Uh, I was. Uh, okay. so, yeah. I mean. People have called my hopes aspirational, but we well, it should be aspirational. It's what actually. that's that's what I do. I'm, I'm a, uh,
4: yeah. I think we need to aspire to something. Right. For sure. And why not why not the highest possible goal? Um, with respect to, I guess I would really like to see humanity get a better grip on value on uh, basically the types of systems and representations that we use to communicate value in our societies and and in our interpersonal relationships, our business relationships. Um, We again have a system that we brought with us from a place and time that looks very little like our world today. And while it's created immense amounts of wealth, in certain ways, it's also detached us from many of the experiences and many of the elements of our own humanity that are quite valuable and need to maintain, They need to remain in the system, right? Like, we can't just act as if hyper-efficient uh, allocation of capital and economic creation through monetary symbols as they are today is enough to sustain a, you know, a human life or a community or, um, you know, or... or the idea of a global collector—it's not like it won't work, as we know it today. It's like if you don't care about where things come from and don't care about where they go to, there will be immense winners and immense losers in that map. And, and I think we're beginning to build new technologies to understand how value um, flows through systems in a way that is is more true to that reality of, of human value and in service of a more uh, a more balanced future. I think that's that's balance is the key to life. Yeah. <laughs> and so what yeah. about, what about, what about yourself? What what, what if I, you had one thing that you could bring in, or many things?
1: And one thing I could bring in, I'm gonna I only pick one. I just think that we need to engineer space for quiet contemplation in modern life. Oh, yes. That's it. Like I actually think that it shouldn't be shameful to like turn off and unplug and yeah. like actually look for quiet spaces. Not
4: respond to emails. Yeah, not yeah. respond to your emails. But
1: even more than that, like. You know we all have time to, to like be up and be out and be connected and that's yeah. important but it's also important to assimilate and, and contemplate and study yes. yeah. so more of that silence is such a commodity in modern life and i saw that again being in the hebrides where there are barely any cars and barely any people and i when i wasn't walking you could hear everything you yeah. could hear sheep on like other like and it just was such a different mindset and I don't know if we engineer that with technology but I think it's hugely important and missing from our modern
2: life. That's, that's a beautiful thing. We okay. have to reconvene with the self. Right. Yeah. And a coherence of all of these things could be that's a beautiful world. Coherence. Catalyzing coherence. <laughs> um, okay, so Somebody G- should get on that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Jen, where can people find you? Psy um, Futurist is a new sort of podcast you're working with. Yep. Do, you, do you have a Patreon or anything that folks can uh, start supporting you? So,
1: I do, I have a couple things that are Futurist, and I will have a Patreon up but when I do short fiction and podcasts.
2: Awesome. So, check that out, folks. Um, Jen is incredible um there's not you know they talk about women in tech we there is like this is a serious need we need more women in technology we need more women running the world the future is female like and Jen is a pioneer um and a beautiful thinker and a beautiful person and thank you for joining us today.
3: Yeah. More Namaste friends.